You may be seated. Does anybody remember times like that in the church maybe you went to back in the day? Looking towards my wife, you remember things like that, Nancy, when you didn't have kids you had to correct in church? You could just, oh, love the Lord. Do you remember that, Brother Joselito? Pastor Wetter, would he ever do that, Nancy, the pastor you were under back in Belmont Assembly? Paul Martin, that's the one I was thinking of. Yeah, just in the presence of the Lord. All of us are going to have various traditions and ways of worshiping God. One time I was in India, and it was so strange, the worship. It was different, the cadence. I couldn't even find the clap. I'm like, where are we at with this? You know what I'm saying? Like, it was strange. But, man, I just closed my eyes, and I just started feeling Jesus. And you can get into the presence of the Lord with any cultural um, dance, as it were. Any cultural tradition can get you there, you know. Uh, African-American church, gospel clapping, foot stomping, uh, Latino church, you know, the tambourine, the dancers, hallelujah. Sometimes I just watch them and tears come down my eyes. I'm praying the boys don't get lustful thoughts, you know, because they can be inappropriate sometimes. But, you know, you watch them in these Latino churches dance with their flags, and it's like, I feel Jesus. Well, all of that is just an expression, no different than if you saw the Jesus Revolution with Greg Laurie and them with Calvary Chapel in, in California playing the acoustic guitar. Yeah, dude, we feel Jesus, man. You know, and that's wonderful. And then now it's like... I feel Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I feel Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And like, it doesn't matter. You just got, you, here's the thing. You just got to go with the flow. Everybody say, go with the flow, Joe. Amen. Let's go then to Hebrews chapter 13. Right now, crispy and clean, know what I mean. Jesus Christ is the King of Kings. Once I get started, just don't stop. Because there ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party. Because a Holy Ghost party don't. Amen. Amen. Church will never be normal around here. So if you're ever waiting for that time to come, how old is he? Is he still like that? Yeah, I'm 46. I'm still like this. I just brought youth group to Sunday. Amen. I, I believe you still get the word. How many know you get the word here then most of the time in three-piece suit churches? You know, they'll tell you the story about Noah's Ark for the 400th time and get you clapping about some encouragement, which is good. I'm glad it's happening. But, man, we went deep in the first service learning about the authority of the church. And so if you're interested in what God is doing in the church as a whole, looking to the past, we went way into the past, and we brought it to the future and uh, where we are now in, in, into the future. Check out our first service messages. We're on the church. Today we're in our sermon series on Hebrews chapter 13. One of the things that I do from time to time is I go back over something we've ever uh, already gone through. So if you ever see me doing that, don't think I forgot. Like, man, did you forget we already went through this? No, it's actually like God brought it up because we're not in a hurry, even though we go verse by verse. How many know this has been a great book? Amen. Hebrews has been an amazing book. And, you know, like I just said with the first service, if you've missed any of these, go back online, podcast, YouTube, Facebook, on our app. It's everywhere. You know, just get it. And, you know, you can just like look at the verses and be like, you know, I'm reading this right here in Hebrews chapter 10. Where did pastor talk about it? Boom, go right to it. That's the benefit of when we do our Bible series verse by verse. In the first service, it's a, a topical one where I'm going all over the Bible. But here you're seeing like what the author was giving. And one of the things that I wanted to pick up on is in Hebrews chapter 13, we hear this statement that we, we've said in the church a whole bunch, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's right there in uh, Hebrews chapter 13 
verse 8. If you just scroll down, brother, you can show them. Everybody say this with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And one of the things that the Lord put this in my heart that I need to come back on is that I don't know how much we believe this. So often we think to ourselves that if I was a disciple and I lived and, and ate with Jesus, then that would be so different than, than what my life is like right now. And that's not true. That would be unfair. That would make this statement false. So it would have to be like, Jesus was awesome yesterday. He's kind of cool today. And he'll be really cool again in, in forever when we see him. Like, that's what it would have to say. But it doesn't say that. Highlight the word same. The word same right there is very important. Everybody say same. Same means it is identical to. So the way Jesus was yesterday is the way he is what? Today and will be what? Forever. Now think about that because there's a lot of implication in that. That means that whatever the disciples were able to tap into in the incarnation, Jesus present on earth, you can do that right now. So, you have, I mean, that's a pretty big statement to believe in. You just can't walk away from this being normal now. You have to understand, like, something is going to change. It's like, could you meet a hurricane and still be the same afterward? No, there's going to be some changes in your life, you know, changes more than likely for the bad, but you know that you met a hurricane. Could someone, uh, you know, like uh, Carlos over here, undo the electrical socket, put his hand on live wires, and be the same after that? No, he's going to feel that he touched something, okay? Well, the idea is even more so with God, but for the positive. Just like you can't touch a fire and be the same, just like you can't touch a live wire or run up into a hurricane or a tornado and be the same, you can't have an encounter with God and be the same. True Christianity leads to a revolutionary relationship. That means your life revolves and changes. As some say, it goes 180. You were going this direction. Now you revolve and go in that direction. That's actually where we see that preface in the word penance. Repentance means you're sorry for what you did, but then you return, you go back, rewind to where you were before, and now make the right decisions. How many of you have repented and are now tempted, but then not sinning in those same ways? And you may not be sinless since you met Jesus, but you have sinned less since you met Jesus. Oh, that's a good pastor quote right there. Somebody should put that on the gram right now. I may not be sinless, but I sin less. Amen. That's the goal. The goal is to aim for perfection. The goal is to be righteous, not ratchet. Can somebody help Lecrae? Lecrae is a Christian rapper who was like, I can be ratchet and I can be righteous. And I'm like, yeah, there's a word for that, backslidden, lukewarm, Revelation 3.16, you get spit out of God's mouth. He wants you all the way in, amen? He doesn't want you to be righteous and ratchet. He wants you to be righteous. Now understand the context of this. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1, we've read it. This is our third time now, but hear the context because I want to then give you the details. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Wow. Well, that means I can do that if Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Because I can't if Jesus has changed. In other words, how can I keep loving everybody the way I'm supposed to if Jesus doesn't help me to love my enemies as he helped the disciples love their enemies? See, just hold your place right here and go to Matthew chapter 5. How many believe this is a good message right here? 
Come on, we need to get this today. Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But what does that mean in your everyday life? Scroll down just a little bit. Here are the Beatitudes. Look at verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay, so that, does that just apply to the disciples? Like only at the time Jesus is on earth can they rejoice if they suffer. No, Jesus is what? The same yesterday and today and for how long? Forever. So going back to Hebrews, how can I now love even my enemies? Because Jesus is with me. Watch this. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. In other words, when Jesus was around, angels were around. But is, is, is now that Jesus has left, have the angels left? No, angels still come around. The Bible says that you and I could interact with angels and think they are just like us as humans. In other words, angels are spiritual beings that can appear as humans and have physical touch and interaction with you. I also believe on the negative side that fallen angels can do this as well and have taken on the forms of false gods and what we would now call aliens. We have been in humanity visited by creatures from a different dimension. These creatures are not from another planet where they have organic life. They are spiritual beings that come to manipulate us. In the time of the ancients, it was for them to deceive the ancient people to get them to think that they were gods and they went by various names. That was the deception, the bait that those people could swallow. Well, are you going to try to do that today where we can, you know, kind of see through all of that? Of course not. But what do we believe in? today. Aliens. We believe in spaceships. We believe that if we can go to the moon, someone can go to Jupiter and past Jupiter. And if we can go in that direction, they can come in this direction. So how do you think these spirits of a different dimension are going to try to deceive us? Are they going to come down like Hercules? Are they going to try to come down as these people or come down as aliens? They're going to try to do that as aliens. And then I believe with the Antichrist, he's going to make a partnership with them. So if you're asking me, how does this whole thing wrap up? It kind of looks like a Marvel movie, to be honest with you. It's going to be creatures coming from other dimensions, appearing as what we would call aliens, making covenants with world governments, trying to bring peace to the Middle East, and then a treaty being made with the Antichrist being worshipped as a god among men. But at some point, the Israelites will turn away from that treaty. It's going to be when he appears in their temple and, and calls himself God. He's going to defile it. And then they're going to reject him and then go on the run. And then the tribulation will um, continue to increase until Christ comes back. Now, where do I believe we are? I believe we're in heaven enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb. How many want to be there? Amen. Now, are, are you ready to stick around for a while if you have to? Somebody say, I'm ready. But also say, I want to leave. Okay, It's cool to be ready, but it's also good to want to leave. So those of you who are new to Christianity, there's debates about how we're going to see the world in. Some people think the Christians will be here. That, that means we'll see all hell break loose. And let me just tell you right now, if you think it's bad now, this is nothing compared to what's going to be. The Bible calls these birth pains. So just get ready to have your faith uh, tested. But others of us believe that God will spare us from that kind of a massive judgment. We call that the rapture. And by the way, people used to laugh at the rapture until Star Trek started doing B 
beam me up, Scotty. Isn't that something how all of the world has to do is tie just a little bit of science to it, a little bit of a storyline, and then everybody starts to believe it. The same thing was like with satellite and all of these things. Before we had satellite, people thought like they could, you know, watch shows on the Jetson and talk to each other through TVs and all of those things, and satellite was uh, a prophecy among those people. And then the Christian was laughed at while the Jetsons was believed. Oh, I think the future will be like like that. While Christians were laughed at when they said, when you receive the mark of the beast, you uh, you can buy and sell. And if you don't do, you can't buy and sell without it. And then when the two witnesses come and they die, the whole world will see and rejoice. People laughed at the Bible. Oh, man, how can a mark stop you from buying and selling? I mean, a tattoo, who's going to be able to stop you with that? And then how is everybody in the world going to see two people uh, uh, killed in Jerusalem? You know, cartoons were smarter to them than the Bible. But how many know the Bible's smarter than cartoons? Even if it is the Simpsons, which they try to find these conspiracies in there as well. But I think, let's just say this, I do think that oftentimes artists, if you just want to track with me a little bit of a, a side note here, I think oftentimes artists and people who are creatives are tapping into spiritual realms like we would say prophets. And they do bring out stuff that I think foretells the future. And I don't think they understand the whole picture of what they're doing, but I think it shows that there's something going on that the devil knows about and God knows about, because how many know the devil can quote this as well? And if he knows it's coming towards this, then he's going to do all he can to work it towards his end while God is working it towards his end. But how many know Jesus wins in the end? Amen. All that from just making sure you're hospitable, inviting people over. Is that cool? See, that's why you come to church. We learn things. Verse 3, continue to remember those as they're in prison, as if you were together with them in prison, those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. And we talked about this being the persecution of the church and remembering those, not just those who have committed crimes and are doing the time, but those who suffer innocently. And many Christians are doing that uh, kind of, are having that kind of suffering now. Verse 4, marriage should be honored by all, marriage bed kept pure, God will judge the adulterer and the sex. Immoral. How many are glad we read that Bible passage there? Amen. How many believe everybody should live by it? Amen. Now verse 5, keep yourselves from, free from the love of money. Be content with what you have because God has said he'll never leave you nor forsake you. So now notice these things. Jesus is the same when? Yesterday and when? Today and when else? Forever. So guess what? If you're in prison suffering for Jesus, Jesus is with you. That means today in our, our, our world where people are suffering persecution, Jesus is with them. How about this? Jesus is in your dating relationships, and Jesus is in your marriage bed. And for Jesus to be in your marriage bed, it's not pornography. How many have ever thought about that for a minute? Maybe I'm the only one. I guess I'm weird. A sister in the back laughs with me. Thank you. If Jesus watcheth me in my bedroom, is that pornography for Jesus? No, I'll tell you why, because it's not perverse. God is our creator, and God watching us do what he made us to do is not like you watching what someone else was made to do. You see, for us, it's perverse to see them naked or to watch them make love. But for God, it's beautiful. Sex was always beautiful. As a matter of fact, clothes are not natural to you. Being naked is. And so when you think about these people in the nudist colonies, there's a truth to that, that there is a comfort in your own skin. Now, I know sometimes like you might be like me. You wake up and you look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, oh, oh. 
What has happened? And I always love my wife because she's such an encourager. Hey, you look hot. You know, it's my wife, you know. But man, like, I don't know if I'm the only dude here, but I'm like talking myself into loving myself, you know. Like, I'm like in the mirror and I'm like, come on, suck it. And, and I'm not kidding. When I, was I not flexing in the mirror this morning? In my undies, I'm flexing. I'm probably giving you TMI. Don't think about it. And I'm just like flexing and... I don't feel right. I remember when I was a kid, I used to take off my shirt, go to the pool, and the girls were like, oh, my. Now I take off my shirt, they're like, oh, my. Put it back on. Put it back on. I'm serious, man. It's changed. Reactions change, young man, as your body changes. And, and here's the deal. We, we are to love ourselves as Christ loves us, but, I mean, you were made to be naked. You were made to make love. I mean, sometimes we think about the Bible as being corny, like, oh, that's silly, that's corny. No, but that, that, that's what you were made for. I actually believe that the Garden of Eden was God's first plan and that the new heavens and earth is his second plan. And, and if you see, there's a restoration, and then, and then there's a moving forward of things that are amazing, but it's not the same as the first plan. And, and sometimes we get into these deep thoughts now. Well, if God had two plans and he knew the first one wasn't going to work, why did he ever give it? And I think there's this thing called free will. Uh, there's this idea of if you could prevent an evil like a Hitler at birth, it wouldn't be just to kill Hitler at birth, and it wouldn't be. And the reason why is is because that baby has not yet committed the crimes. And as much as we hate the idea of what free will brings, to cut off free will would be to cut off our humanity. So God in his eternal past, we don't know what he was doing, but he might have already done the robots and got bored with it, okay? So just think about it. Like, we know where it starts with our universe and our creation. The idea is what was before that. You, you know, you can have all the thoughts in the world, and they're not going to be scriptural. But an idea would be, uh, even if he didn't do it, what would it have been like if he did? So he makes a humanoid that looks just like us, that, that uh, can do things like us, and is in every way human like us, except for one thing, it doesn't have free will. Okay, so now imagine a version of me, and I don't have free will. Do I experience love? I don't. Don't you need will for love? So if God just programmed me to raise my hands, when, when the worship leader says, raise my hands, is that really now worship? You know, so you could just imagine, I mean, if in, in eternity past he did that, he probably just got bored with that. He's just like, beep, boop, beep, boop, tell me you love me. I love you. Now bow down and worship me. Beep, boop, beep, boop, I worship you. You know, I'm bowing down. How many know that's, that's not love? And if God is love, when we see the creation of our world and this plan uh, literally go to hell in a handbasket, as we see this plan go to hell, he doesn't end the plan, as it were, to stop humanity. He, re, he reinvents the plan, reinvents it. He brings about something after it. And some could even argue it's greater. But I want to be clear with you, it's not the same. It's not the same plan. Because in the Garden of Eden, it seems like we were going to remain naked and have sex and make babies time without end. How many think that's a good time? Maybe it's just me, but I'm being honest. I have six kids. I can live in, I can live there. I'm not complaining. You know what I'm saying? And somehow, everybody get this, we're not lusting after each other's na nakedness and nudity. We're content with our own bodies. Just imagine that for a second. You're content with your own body, not lusting after someone else, and you can keep having babies as long as you want. Now, the Bible says that when we 
sinned, we brought death. We lost the ability to be naked, and I think that's because we also lost the glory of God. I believe the glory of God shone around us like a shield, so in one sense, we may not have been able to see the particulars of our body because it says that uh, when Adam saw himself, he knew as the glory left that he saw himself naked, and it seemed to shock him, like, whoa, what's going on here? You know, like he didn't understand all the parts maybe that he had or what he looked like, or it could have just been like, I don't like myself without the glow anymore, you know, depending on how you look at it. But whatever it was, the nudity without the glory was a shock to him, and it scared him, and that's why he wanted to cover himself. Well, what you then see is that God takes him and puts him out of the garden, doesn't allow him to go back and eat from the tree of life, and this is where we we get to this idea of what would have happened if he did. That would have been eternal damnation. So you know in the Bible, it talks about a resurrection and some going for life, eternal life, and others damnation. How many have heard that before? And so it's, how many have read the Bible before I start there? Okay, how many have heard there's a resurrection? Eternal life, eternal death, right? So we all get one life, one death. That's where we start. But you can have a second life, that's eternal, or a second death, that's eternal. Is everybody tracking there? Okay. So it seems like if Adam would have eaten of that, that, that fruit and Eve, they would have sealed eternal death. And that's why he didn't let them go there. And then now we see the plan of redemption come. Now here's something that, that uh, we all think about when, when we go here, is that the Bible says Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So in other words, what God knew would fail, he already had a solution to. Whatever your problem is, Jesus is the what? The answer. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. I mean, remember that? That's oldie but goodie there. So Jesus is the answer to problems we didn't even know we had. Now, having said all of this, think about this. Just, just, just get this in your mind right now. If Jesus is the answer to problems that he knew we would have, did he mean for us to fall? No, I don't think so. I think this is what, we, what, what God wanted. Remember, I'm trying to know the mind of Christ right now. And as I look through the scriptures, and we're going to get into it today, what I believe he wanted us to know was his redemption through the pain. He wanted us to see his forgiveness through the sin. He wanted us to see the rebirth after the spiritual death. And so now, everybody get this. This is where it ties into where you're at today. That then means every valley has a purpose. Every test is supposed to have a testimony. Every pain has a purpose. Can I hear an amen? So Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but who has changed? We have. We've come out of in and out of relationship with him. We've broken covenant with him. When we look at the history of the Bible in Hebrews is about the history of the Jewish people. As we go through this with God, we see that in every place of history, Jesus is there offering his hand of blessing, offering his hand of companionship, his comfort, his love. And it's up to us whether or not we will trust him. Because if we don't trust him, we're going to turn to other things. And that's why the Bible says there, free yourselves from the love of money. Look at that. Live your lives free from the love of money. Because what is the love of money? It's shackles. It's chains. Anything that you and I put above God to be our source is now going to be our slave master. Your job is not your source. God is your source that uses your job. How many know your faucet is not the source of water? How many know it's coming from a source? 
right? But you're tapping into that water tap because of your choice. But that water flows to a river or to a lake, and it's coming through all of those pipes and all of those things to where you are today. And so now you have to ask yourself, let's just be honest, when I make it personal, when I go through problems, do I trust in Jesus or do I trust in my 401k? Or do I look to the things of this world? And then do you maybe even make spiritual excuses and say, well, you know, if I was around during Moses' time and I saw a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, then I would trust. Or if I was, you know, Peter and I was hanging out with Jesus, well, then I would walk on water. Or, or you know what, if I was one of those saints of old like Ignatius and others being martyred for Christ, then I would have courage to stand up for Jesus. Let's be honest. If we're saying that, then what are we saying? That Jesus has changed. And then continue on. So what do we do? We say this with confidence. The Lord is my what? The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? You see, if you know Jesus is with you, who are you going to be afraid of? Now look at the next verse. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And uh, last week, I just went to a puddle of tears. I apologize. I am still a man, you know. I'm still a man. Uh, yeah, I know some of you are like, it's okay, dude. I cry too. But, man, I do not know what happens in second service. Dude, I don't know if I'm just tired from the day or if it's the Holy Spirit. Like, I've gotten, you know, my double dose of the Holy Ghost. But I was crying last week, man. I'll tell you why. Because I was thinking about how leaders have impacted my life. But how did they do it? In their own strength or from Jesus? From Jesus. So then I was trying to end that service by God's grace by saying, now you guys go be leaders. You go be great influences to other people because Jesus is with you. The same one that was with Donald, this, this uh, handicapped man who lived with his wife in a, uh, you know, a, fa- a facility for assisted living. If God was with Donald and he was using him to touch my life and it means so much to me, then Jesus can use you to do it. But once again, if you're like, well, no, Jesus, I don't know. He can't use me that way. You know, I think about these great heroes of the faith. You know, like they they did these wonderful things. I, I don't see Jesus with me like that. The moment you do that, what are you now calling into question? Jesus Christ being the same. When? Yesterday. When? Today. And for how long? Forever. See, that's what we're calling into question. And so now I want to encourage you with how Jesus never changed. Never changes, nor will he change. Go with me to Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. When I think about Moses, I think about this man who had more encounters with God, probably in the natural, than anybody else who's ever walked on the earth, beside maybe the disciples. I think other than the disciples, This guy was close to Jesus. I've showed you before in Exodus 33 that Moses talked with God face to face. I believe that he might have even been transformed in time to meet with Jesus on the mountain of transfiguration. How many ever read before in the Bible the mountain of transfiguration where with the disciples, Jesus changes his form to that ultimately divine form, and then there you see with him Elijah and Moses? What if, this is what some theologians say, what if when Moses was in the cleft of the rock being told he couldn't see the Father's face, but he could see his glory, what if at that time he time-traveled and then showed up to see Jesus in the flesh on a mountain? Wouldn't that be amazing? 
I know some people have wrote books about that and tried to say they know that's what happened. I don't want to say that, but wouldn't that be amazing? So this, this man might have even time-traveled. Same thing with Elijah might have time-traveled, which is a whole nother discussion. Because if Jesus is the same yesterday and forever, uh, yesterday, today, uh, yesterday, today, and forever, if he's the same, then why can't he take you on a, dri- on a trip throughout his, uh, his, his uh, glory ship to different phases of time where he's the same? See, if he's in all times at once, why can't he pull you from one to the other? And then once again, huh, 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 that silly Bible. They laugh at us, but then watch it in Marvel, right? Like Dr. Strange can go back in time, but Dr. Jesus can't. Are you guys tracking with me? So I, I think it's silly how we just we rule this out as just like it can't possibly be done when you literally have scientists trying to explain how it could be done. My old thing would be this, because I just watched the Flash movie, which I would not recommend. These are getting worse and worse. Oh, what is wrong with these people? First of all, I found out about the character. He is just a sinner, and I don't like anything about his character. Lord, save him in Jesus' name. The other thing I notice is they have no more plots. They have to go to so many different alternative universes and timelines now because they just can't talk about normal stuff anymore. And then for whatever wicked reason, which I believe it's El Diablo, these PG-13 movies need to drop one F-bomb in every movie now. Have you guys noticed this? What is wrong with you, you wicked sinners? Lord, help me meet one of these writers one day and teach them how to write. Like, there, I, I, how many could think of a hundred different words than an F word in a sentence? Like, not, not many of you? Okay, how many could think of two different words at least? I can think of at least a hundred different words that would make the same point that this kid tried to make when he dropped the F. But I can use a hundred different words, and yet for a wicked, when I'll say maybe even satanic, conspiratorial reason, they keep wanting to put those in our movies. Leave them out of our movies. So anyways, okay, going back to the Flash now, as he's going back and forth in time, spoiler alert here, okay? I mean, he's going back and forth in time. There has to be a timeline for him to go on. How many understand that? If he goes back somewhere and that place somewhere is where he's at now, that has to be a place that actually has matter, space, and time. How many get that? Who holds that together, Flash? Hello, like, so like in your world, even in the make-believe world, I traveled back in time. I created another timeline. Was there matter, space, and time there? Was there natural laws of order and gravity and subatomic particles? Were all those things there, Flash? Where'd that come from? Who put that together, dude? You see, my God put that together. So if God would allow us, which I don't think he does, to go back and forth on that timeline, it's still his power, Amen. Just like I can walk backwards, it's still his earth. How many understand that? I walk forward, I'm still on his earth. If I did that in dimensions, if I did that in realms, if I did that on timelines, it's all still God's because in him and through him be all things. Amen. Praise God. I bet you didn't think we would tie that together, but it happened. Somebody help me here. Now notice this. Here's Joshua close to Moses, but this is a intimidating relationship because Moses has known God like this and Moses has had to watch this. We can probably even put together some points where where Joshua gets to see a glimpse of what Moses is seeing, almost like you can see, uh, you know, like in that cartoon, the big bulldog and the little puppy dog. Yip, 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 
give. And he's always following the big dog. You can almost see, you know, like Joshua peering over Moses' shoulder. Like, oh, I saw a glimpse of Jesus there. Oh, I saw a glimpse of the glory there. But we know for a fact that he's not in the same position as, as Moses. Now, what do you think he's feeling like when he watched Moses die and the promised land is over there? He's not in the promised land yet, and he's looking at it, and now he looks at a grave, and he goes, this is the guy that was supposed to take us there. What do you think is going through his head? He's probably saying to himself, I don't have the hookup like Moses. He didn't get the permission. See, Moses had permission because he was a part of the priesthood to go into these places and do things that only priests could do. The only one that we ever see do something like that is David, okay? So Moses had a privilege that Joshua didn't have, and now you have to be wondering what's going through Joshua's mind. He's like, I don't even have Jesus on speed dial like Moses. How am I going to do this? The one that was this close to God, Moses, lost his chance to go, left it up to me, and now all I can see is the enemy. All I can see is these high walls. All I can see is these giants. But what does Joshua have, even in his time as a young man that the other tribal leaders didn't have? He had faith. Somebody say faith. He had faith. But now, guess what? Faith is not just faith in and of itself. We do not just have faith in faith. Faith is the substance of things what? Hoped for. So that means there's a substance between him and what he's believing, and that's the presence of God. The presence of God is what is the substance of your faith. How many of you have had faith for great things to happen? You went to your prayer closet. You came to the altar. Maybe it was for our precious sister to have a baby. And you came up here. And then when you walked away, you left the Bible study. You left your prayer closet. Nothing changed. How many have ever been there before? Does anybody pray? Let's just go here, second service. Come on. Have you prayed for big things before? Did you believe you felt the presence of the Lord with you and you felt like you got that thing, but when you walked away, there was nothing there? Like, in other words, you might have been praying for a baby and you prayed and prayed, but you still weren't pregnant. I just had a text come from a precious brother and sister who used to attend this church, and he said, after 18 years of not being able to conceive a child, now they have gotten pregnant for the very first time. Can we give it up for Jesus right here? Excuse me, 18 years was for a pastor. This for our friends right here. They've been married. Does anybody know when the Wamplers got married? What year? 2015, so what, about eight years. And we clapped for the 16-year one. That's the pastor of Anthem Church, But uh, 18 years. And now they had adopted, and now they are pregnant. This uh, couple is pregnant right here. Okay, how many know eight years is a long time? How many know 18 years is a long time? But faith, right? Faith is there. And then you have a substance, the presence of the Lord, which a lot of times we take for granted, and we're like, oh, okay, I just have the presence of God. That's no big deal. No, that's a big deal. That should keep you encouraged through your problems, through your tests, because that presence of the Lord is going to bring you through. So now notice this. What does God do for Joshua? This is what I love about my God. Just grow up a little bit, please, so they can see the context. Start there. Uh, let's go all the way up to verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, somebody go, oh, snap, he got his number. You see, Joshua didn't have the Lord's number, but the Lord had Joshua's number. You see, he called him up. 
See, this is what I love about this story is that Joshua might have been freaking out going, I I don't see my way through this. I I have faith. I have the presence of the Lord. But he needed something to guide him. He needed the very word of God. He needed God to show up and speak to him. And this is why, let me just pause here. I believe as Christians that we should take very serious the voice of God. Now, one time somebody mocked us uh, saying to another person who believed they heard from the voice of God, and he was Scottish, and I won't try to do the accent, but they mocked the man, and they said, when you hear the voice of God, does he talk in a Scottish accent? And the man, being embarrassed and not knowing really what to say, said, yeah, he sounds like me. And then they laughed at him and said, oh, see, you're just talking to yourself. But hold on, Mr. Smarty Pants, whoever said that to him. Let me ask you something. If God were to speak to me, what language is he going to speak? Hello, is he going to speak in Klingon, a language I don't understand? He's going to speak in my language, right? Is everybody listening? And if God is going to speak to me, how is he going to speak to me? Is he going to speak to me in an audible voice or through my thoughts? You see, what they were mocking is actually something quite profound, isn't it? How did God ever speak to these people? We only see the audible, visual presence of God a few times in the Bible, Moses being one of them. But all the other times when the Bible says the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, or thus says the Lord, Jeremiah speaking, do you literally see the Lord standing right behind him doing him like a puppet? How many believe that when we hear the prophet saying, the Lord spake, we believe it's by his spirit through the thoughts? Does anybody believe that? The Bible actually confirms that. It's not just a philosophical argument. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. The Bible speaks about inspiration. And the Bible says that inspiration comes by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is actually what inspires us. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is what? God breathed and is useful for teaching. And if you could touch on the Greek word there, God breathed, it's literally theanoustos. Theanoustos, God breathed, my brother. Just click on it. Oh, you got it right there? This is, this is not the word God breathed. Go right up there to God breathed. Keep going. There you go. Does everybody see this big word right here? Theanustas. You know what that's the combination of? It's theo and then breath, God and spirit. Wow. So you mean when they were hearing what would become scripture, it was the breath of God inside of them? Yeah. It wasn't something on the outside. It was the voice of the spirit on the inside. Somebody say on the inside. Go to 1 Peter as well. 1 Peter talks about this. 1 Peter talks about how in their time, even he had seen things that no one else had seen. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. But then notice how he talks about how precious the scriptures are, even in comparison to the things that he saw. Notice this. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come searched intently and with the greatest of care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ, where? In them. Is everybody looking at the Scripture with me? To which the Spirit of Christ did what, where? In them. Where was the Spirit of Christ, y'all? In them. Was the Spirit of Christ outside of them? Speaking in an audible voice? No, listen to it. He said, they took with the greatest of care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ 
in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. What does that mean? When these prophets were writing prophecy, Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs and our sufferings, yet we, we considered him a man stricken by God. How many have heard that prophecy before? Uh, Isaiah 9, 6, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, a given. The government will be upon his shoulders. The Bible says that when they heard this, it was by the Spirit of Christ, notice that, in them. Some people think only Christ existed at his birth. Here his spirit is around before he got a body through the Virgin Mary. Woo, y'all catching this right now? Notice this. The spirit of Christ before the incarnation is speaking in the prophets through the breath of the Holy Spirit, the words of God. So brothers and sisters, hold on. Don't ever think that God only spoke to Moses. He also spoke to Joshua. Guess who else he's speaking to? He's speaking to you. He's speaking to you. He's speaking to me. Jesus is the same what? Yesterday and today and forever. What's the difference? Our God-breathed messages are not the scripture for all people at all times. So let's just be very careful because the very ones who were mocking this Christian by saying, when you hear the voice of God and you're Scottish, does it sound Scottish? Yeah, it does. See, you're not talking to God. You're talking to yourself. No, they're mocking him when it's the spirit of Christ speaking through the man's thoughts and inspiration. They then say, well, if that's all true, pastor, and it is really the thoughts of God in the heart of a person, then why isn't it Scripture? Because every other time God spoke, it became Scripture. And we say, no, that's not true. Go to the end of the book of John. Every time Jesus spoke, it wasn't Scripture. It was the equivalent of Scripture. It has the same kind of meaning to those who heard it, but not all Jesus' words were written down. Can I hear an Amen. So sometimes they mock us, and they say, well, then write it down and make it the next Bible, you know, Second Joe chapter 1. You see people mock us like this, but this is not the way we're supposed to look at it. Look at John chapter 21, verse 25, at the end of the book of John, which honored Jesus and showed him in all of his glory. Notice how the book ends. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be what? Written. So notice this, things written down by what he did. Now go to John chapter 1, verse 1. That's the last book of John. Who is Jesus said to be in the first verse of John? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's been speaking this whole time. Just not everything has been being written down. There's other prophets that even the Bible mentions in passing. Their words were not written down. So what we have in Scripture, as 2 Timothy 3.16 says, is useful for the teaching, the correcting, the rebuking. And there's nothing now equal to that. So when we believe we hear from God, we have to confirm it with God's word that has been written down. Is everybody getting that? I don't think this is hard to get, but I say this because the ones mocking this man weren't atheists. They were other Christians. They were other Christians. They were the Baptist kind of Christians. And I love Baptist Christians, but they need to get boom shakalaka by the power of God and become Bapticostal because God is still speaking, not against his word, but from his word. Amen. 
Now going back to Joshua, ask yourself this question. If the Lord spoke to Joshua, will he speak to me? I believe he will. If he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, Jesus is going to help you love people. Jesus is going to help me be hospitable. Jesus is going to help me love him more than I love money. Jesus is going to help me follow my leaders and be a leader to the people around me. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, light a candle and start praying to him because, boy, you need his help. Is that what it says? All my Roman Catholic friends, don't get mad at me. They didn't make a saint out of him. Look at what God says. Moses, my servant, is dead. That realm is off limits to you. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan unto the land I'm about ready to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to the Lebanon and from the great river Euphrates and all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea and all the west. How many want to see all that? That land come to Israel. Amen. No one will be able to stand against you in all the days of your life as I was with who? Moses. So I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Wow. God's willing to speak to Joshua. Now, does he say after that, hey, Joshua, this is what I want us to do? I just, you know, because we kind of teased the Roman Catholics for a second. We're like, uh, did he say to pray to Moses? Because that's what they would start doing, looking for a water stain to remind us of Mary. Light candles, talk to the saints, because they must be closer to God than you are. No, no, he doesn't say that. But now let's tease the Protestants. Does he say to Joshua, go on a 40-day fast, keep on keeping on all of these religious traditions? No, what does he say? Be strong, courageous, and obey the law that my servant Moses gave you. You want to know how to get closest to God? Fasting may be a part of it, but the way you get closest is obeying the word of God. In the word of God, it can teach you how to fast, but fasting is not your answer. The word of God is. You want to get close to God? It's not coming to church 20 times a week, though church is a place where people get close to God. But you better be hearing the word of God in church. You see, what he told Moses was, this is how you're going to get to know me. I'm going to speak to you through the word I already gave Moses. Now, did Joshua get another law or other commands or other scriptures in that way? No. The rest of his story is pretty much the taking of the promised land. In other words, we don't hear the communication between him and God too much further. But what we do know is that he took time to speak to his servant Joshua, to encourage him, and then remind him, just follow the script. Stick to the word. Now, what are we supposed to do? Go to Matthew chapter 28, 18. Same thing. Look at the, the lives of disciples. What would you be thinking now as a disciple, right? Jesus, you're leaving. I mean, they're arguing with him in the book of John. I'm so glad John put this together for us because how many know it wouldn't be easy to let go of Jesus? Like, you're just not, like, cool with that. You're just not like, okay, I'll see you later. You're like, hold on. <laughs> hold up. Where are you going? <laughs> Do you know what just happened here? They killed you. You rose from the dead. They're going to try to kill us next. Nobody likes us. They don't, the Jewish people don't like us. The pagans don't like us. The Greeks don't like us. If we go over here to the Persians, I guarantee they won't like us. We're just going to suffer here, Jesus. And Jesus is like, hold up. Let me tell you something. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Don't be afraid. Yeah, you're going to suffer. He told them that. Many of you are going to die. He even told Peter how you're going to die. You're going to suffer, yeah, but you know what? I got all the authority. 
So go out there and make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, our blessed Trinity. And teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. So show them the script. Teach them what I've showed you. That's what they're going to need. And then what does he say? And surely I am with you. How long? Always to the very end of the age. You see, what's different about Jesus is that he could keep that promise. If I could just have some of these brothers come up, uh, Marco, Daryl, Carlos, and let's say Joe B. Would you guys all line up right here for me, please? I want to give you an illustration of this. Somebody say succession. Thank you. So can you guys all face east? Yeah. East is this way. Or is that way? Sorry. Let's face south then, my brother. You were right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like the worst with this. People ask me all the time in my neighborhood where to go to places, and I'm like, don't you have a phone, man? Yeah, GPS that thing, man. Yeah, now you know why. I would be going east right here. Okay, now watch this right here. I want everybody to get this. This is a visual, okay? So Jesus says, I will be with you always. Now, what we think it means is that he just did something like this, okay? Jesus gave, let's call this, uh, the disciple Peter, right? So Jesus gave Peter his word, right? And then now you hand it to your disciple. That would be like Clement, right? And then, brother, you hand it to the next one. Let's say it's Irenaeus, right? And then you hand it to the next one, Tertullian. That's what, God bless the Baptist, but that's what they think happened. Can now you toss back that word gently and kindly, all that? Yeah. But I'm going to show you what actually happens because he says, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, how many know Peter's still not here? How many know Peter's not here anymore? But he said, I'm going to be with you. So the you there could not just mean the specific guys he's talking to. He would have to be talking to his disciples, amen, because it's not the end of the age. Does everybody get how that works? Okay, so Jesus is still here, but Peter's not still here. The end of the age is coming upon us, and here's what Jesus is doing. Here's my word. Now toss it up to this dude right here. Here's my word. You see the difference? And then guess what? Here's my word. What is Jesus doing in every age with every person? He's with them as he's with his word. It's not that he's separate from his word. He's with his word. And then toss it to this brother right here. Hand it to him, please. Let's give it up for these mighty men of God. Amen. Now, the rest of you may be seated. Joe B., stand right here for me. Thank you. Come on up to this pulpit up here. I want to ask you a question now. Now that Joe B's here, let's just fast forward through that handing down. Man, 2,000 years of history. If I'm representing Jesus, and that's the word, and he has it in his hand, does he have anything less than what Peter had the day he had the word in Jesus? No. Because otherwise, let's get it, otherwise Jesus is not the same today as he was yesterday. How does this change our lives, man? What does this do for you when you think about Jesus being that close to you? What it does is makes me want to go to that word and have him bring it alive to me. I want to study it. I want to get close to him. I want to pray. I want to go to church. Not because I have to, but because I get to. Like if this is his means of doing it, then this is where I want to be. I want to be right with Jesus. One more time, can you get up for Joe B? Thank you, man of God. 
Go with me to Psalm 139. Just about three or four scriptures in closing. I promise not to keep you long, but I just want to show you what it looks like now because oftentimes people are like, man, that's cool that you showed that to me, but I have to bury my son, my daughter, my husband, my wife, my mom, my dad. Like, what does this look like? We'll go to Psalm chapter 139, verse 16. What it looks like is you beginning to hear the thoughts of God for you because he didn't say you wouldn't go to the funeral. That's not what he said. He just said he would be with you. Come on, just put up that, 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 that verse again, Matthew 28, 19. I just want everybody to see this. He didn't say, I'm going to be with you always, and every day everything's going to go the way you plan it. No, do you get, like, what's happening here? And surely I'm with you always. What do you think is packed in that word always? You think funerals are in the word always? Yeah. Do you think uh, recessions, pandemics, Christian persecution, divorces? Yeah. Family members uh, betraying you, turning their backs on you. How many things do you think are in always? I think everything is here. I don't think God is saying to us, life is always going to go your way, and on the good days, you're going to feel me, I'm there, and we'll do a happy dance together. I don't think that that's what it means. Matter of fact, I know that's not what it means, because in the next few years of the disciples, they start dying very quickly. They start facing persecution. And as a matter of fact, for the next 300 years, Christianity is going to go through probably would be one of the worst atrocities of human history. I cannot think of a religious belief that has ever been persecuted for as long as intentionally as Christianity was for its first 300 years. They're going to feed them to lions. They're going to rape their children. Pastors are going to have to counsel young girls who are willing to commit suicide so they won't be raped by Roman soldiers. They're going to have to counsel those who are now made orphans because their parents have died because they were leading in their home churches. They're going to have to decide on how to bury people who have been burned to ashes in the Roman amphitheaters. Like, do you understand? The world for a Christian is going to be turned upside down for the next 300 years. Jesus is not saying there, I will only be with you when times are good. You're having fun. You've got your 401K. You've made the varsity team. That's not what he's saying. This Bible was made for your worst days. This Bible was made for you when you have to say goodbye to people you weren't ready to say goodbye to. In our church, a brother had to, we've already had some of the saddest stories in this church. One of our brothers, he lost his uh, 15-year-old son changing a tire. Some of you know about that. Another brother here lost his wife. A sister in our church lost her mom. Young girl lost her mom. We've already had to say goodbye to people we love. We're not expecting to lose. But this Bible was there to carry them through. Because he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you always. If there's not a Jesus that's with us always when we lose mothers, when we lose children, then what is the purpose then of Jesus? If Jesus is just that clown that makes us feel good, then why don't we just resurrect Bozo the clown like you guys used to have in Chicago and I used to watch on WGN? Is Jesus merely just our clown or our Burger King when we want him right away our way? No. Remember I said from the very beginning, God is working through a second phase of the plan. It was not his first intention for us to have evil days. It was not his first intention for children to be raped. And by the way, behind this pulpit, one of our missionaries testified in India of being raped. He did not intend for us to see rape, murder, slavery, genocide, abortion, homosexuality, gender confusion, suicide, all of these things. This was not his first plan. But because we chose the knowledge of good and evil, we have them both now. 
And without God and his word, we won't know the difference between one or the other. So going back to our passage, please. What do we see? Uh, Going back to the other one that I had you uh, put up right there. Thank you. Going back to Psalm 139. What do you do when the worst days come upon you? Remember this. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Remember I said everything about God's word is not written right here, is it? Because your life is in God's book and your life is not literally right here, is it? That means God has a library up there, doesn't he? And you know what? If we don't accept Christ Jesus, that library book of your life will show every single one of your sins. But if you know Jesus and you've been forgiven, I believe when you go up there and someone tries to pull out the, the, uh, the biography of your life, they're going to say, hey, why does the book start when uh, Joe's 18? <laughs> where's, where's the rest of it right here? I see it's all blank. And Jesus is going to say, because it's covered in my righteousness. He was in Christ as a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. I want you to learn about Joe from November 5th, 1995, when he gave his heart to me. You want to know my biggest regret? Is that it doesn't start when I was 17 or 16. Because I knew about Jesus at that age. But I chose my sin. And listen, it's forgiven. I'm going to heaven. But there is no story there that gives him glory. Are you listening? That's why I talk to church kids and I say, I know, I know you hear our stories as backsliders. And, and you say, hey, man, if Joe made it, I can make it. Remember, there's no promise that I was going to make it the next day. I could have died in a car accident, right? So don't, don't think that's your story. But then I always say to them, the moment you get to know and love Jesus the way we do is you're going to wish you started at your age. Because that's for eternity. So my children that are here and my young ones, I want them, I want to go and have their whole story here. That at seven years old, Joy loved Jesus and she learned her JBQ lessons. And when she got mad at mom because she wasn't a good girl, she repented and things turned better, you know. She, you know, she got her little time out, but she still loved Jesus. And then at, at nine years old, she did this for Jesus. You know, that's what I want their stories to be. How many parents want that for your children? So God has a book for us, and we can go by that book. But we can violate it whenever we want. But he already has written that book for us. Now look at verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Then I awake, I am still with you. I know depression is real in our culture. I do think it's over-medicated in most cases. I think anxiety, panic attacks, OCD, I think all of that is real. I do not deny the mental health uh, disorders and anguish that people are suffering. I just think much of it is over-medicated. But you know what they're teaching them now? This mind renewal, change your, brain, uh, change your mind, change your brain, neuroplasticity, or what they call cognitive brain therapy, CPT. You know what they are teaching them? Is that you are what you think. And if you're having an overflow of negative thoughts, start by thinking of something you know is positive. And so as men come back from the military with their post-traumatic stress, they say, carry around with you 
pictures of your loved ones so that if you're in the grocery store and a grocery cart slams into another one and you think you're back there at Fallujah, pull up on your phone, your beautiful family, because what will happen is thoughts will begin to come from that picture and it will start to help you retrain your brain from the trauma that you've suffered. I'm not saying that it's easy. We have veterans that live next to us. Both of them have been in war. One of them is a disabled vet, amputee with a purple heart, and she gave us a book to talk about post-stress traumatic syndrome that was written by a soldier for his children so that the children would understand what the father goes through in those moments of fireworks, of loud noises. But how do you make your way out of that fog? What do you do? The Bible says you count the thoughts of God. You go back to that which is precious. David is writing this. David had been in battle. David had said at one time the battle was so bad that he lost 1,000 at one side and 10,000 at another. He had seen mass destruction in wars that he had fought. And yet in his greatest times of anguish, he set his minds on the thoughts of God. I just wonder today, instead of teaching them the crooked chicken yoga poses, if we took out those today who are dealing with depression over to Lake Michigan and said, gather up a handful of sand and take one grain at a time and think about what God says about you in his word. I have a piece of paper that I can share with you, PDF. I'll put it up afterwards, and it's in one of our books, the In Him book to help you renew your mind. has over 100 promises, things that God says directly to you right now to encourage you. But what does it take you to do? It takes for you to want to count them. That may not seem like the easiest thing when oftentimes our darkest thoughts and our greatest temptations are like broken records we can't get out of. But in closing today, I want you to go to Romans chapter 12. There is a promise about the promise. In other words, there's a way for us to break the broken record and to know he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that is by offering up our bodies in those moments of suffering and say, Lord, my body is yours. The pain is yours. The problems are yours. Lord, I give you all of this as worship. Here is my life. Renew my mind. And the Bible says that whose minds are set on him will be set on peace. Can I say that again? Does anybody's mind need to be set on peace today? Then set your mind on him. Because when you set your mind on him, he will set you at peace. I know sometimes people think that's easier said than done. But I'm giving you the promise of the scripture. Brothers, sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So in other words, don't let your body be your master. Make your body your slave. Instead of scrolling through the phone, scroll through the scriptures. Instead of putting your face in Facebook, put your face in his book. Instead of thinking about what Cardi B rapped about, think about what Jesus talked about. Instead of hearing about your famous uh, sports stars, learn about what Peter, James, and John did. Just try it. I'm asking you today, as your pastor, to try it. The amount of time you give to the sports, give to the Word of God. If you're not a reader, put on the audio Bible. As I was teasing before about worship, find a rhythm, a tradition of music that you can worship to. Put I don't care if it's hip-hop, gospel, R&B for Jesus. It doesn't matter. Find something. Put it on and start to read this word. Start to put it in your heart. 
Because there's no other way, brothers and sisters, that we get to experience the same Jesus unless we do the same things they did. Remember Joshua. He just lost Moses. Moses is dead. There's no crossing his dimension to go hang out with him. So this is what I want you to do, Joshua. Obey my words. Be strong and courageous because I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I think oftentimes the ones that are most courageous in this world are the ones who are dedicating their life to this. Seriously. I've met some pretty strong guys in my life. I've met some pretty, like, spectacular women, high achievers, people who have great jobs, success, athletes. Every time I see them become a Christian or they tell me their testimony, they say, this is the most courageous thing I've ever done. Facing my temptations with Jesus, not running away. Being still enough to hear his voice because I know he's still speaking the plans from that book he wrote about my life before I was ever born. So that means when you and I go and face our situations, there's not one of them that's taking God by surprise. The day my mother woke me up to tell me my sister died drinking and driving, Jesus was like chapter 32, verse 1 of Joe's life. Come on, Joe, let's go. Fall to your knees and begin to pray. That was my choice if I wanted to do it, but that's how chapter 32 started in my book. Are you guys listening? Because as I grabbed my mother out of my, uh, as she was grabbing me, I grabbed her, and then we went back to my side of my bed, and her weeping. I didn't know what else to do. I mean, what do you do? You get woken up. You get woken up, and the first thing you're seeing is your mom hysterical. Jenny's dead. Jenny's dead. I don't know what to do. I don't know how I even got to my knees. I don't even... I don't, I don't even know the prayer that I prayed. All I knew is that chapter 32, verse 1 of my book started off with Jesus saying, now go to your knees and talk to me. And as that day went on, and we had to go see Jenny, my sister's car that was split in two because she didn't take the turn at about 70 miles an hour, they guess, because it would take that much force with the tree that she hit to split the car in two, and she flew from the middle of it. When my mom went to the car... And my mom's pulling out the little air fresheners and the things falling over in the car. My dad's trying to help her. I'm sitting in the back in shock as an 18-year-old Christian, only been saved a few months. What did now chapter 32, verse 10 say? And you will start meditating on my word. And you will start to thank me even for a day like today because I am with you through the worst days you'll ever have. I wasn't thanking God that my, my sister died. I wasn't thanking God that I was seeing the most horrific scene play out in front of me. But I was thanking God that today is your day, God. I will bless the Lord today. I didn't make these molecules. I didn't make this brain that's processing all this information. So if I have it, I'm giving you praise. That's it. That's what you want, God. That's where I'm starting. That's where I'm going. Do not conform to the pattern of this world because the world will have you freak out. The world will have you on more drugs. The world will have you try every religion but a relationship with Jesus. But it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then they said to me, Joe, you know Jenny didn't go to church. Our pastor probably won't come all the way out here. I want you to preach it. The first funeral I ever preached as a preacher was for my sister and my siblings and my mom in the front row, a mess. 
Well, that was because chapter 33 said, I will give Joe's words to speak in front of his family and friends. And I preached two words. I preached hell to the sinners, that if you don't live right, you're not getting promised heaven, and I don't know where my sister's at. So no one could get mad at me. It was my sister. And I said, you better live right. So I told him, hell is hot. And then I spoke for the next few moments that heaven's not. Choose Jesus. Get on fire for Jesus. Love Jesus. My mother should know that more than anybody else because she's trusted him all these years. And I just talked about how beautiful heaven was, how beautiful Jesus was. But you got to hear both sides of the story. Why? Because that was what chapter you know, 33 said in Joe's book. Joe now preaches. Brothers and sisters, we are not to be conformed to this world. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind to what? The plan of God, the purposes of God, His Word. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and what kind of will? Perfect will. That's when you know you're doing the right thing. Oh, but, but, but Joe... Didn't, didn't it hurt? Yeah. But, but Joe, didn't your mom go through stuff? Yeah. But I, I was in the perfect will of God. Sometimes the perfect will of God will take you through your hardest problems. Remember the footprints illustration? Man's in heaven. God is showing him his life, similar to what we talked about, the story of his life. He's there in heaven, and he's noticing that in the hardest times of his life, there's only one footprint of sand. But then in the good times, there's two footprints. So then he made the assumption, God, why did you leave me during these times? Why is there only one footprint? And what does Jesus say back to him? Those were the times I carried you. You read Psalm 23 about the Lord being a shepherd. His rod and staff comfort me. That means in one hand he's got his staff and the other one he's got you. And you're feeling the staff knowing any devil comes he's getting whooped. And at the same time you're close enough to hear his heartbeat. That's what's being described there as a sheep in the arms of a shepherd. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. May we never forget that. May we make time in our lives, in our hardest times, to go into prayer, to read his word, offer up our bodies and our lives as living sacrifice, and go, here I am, God. So in other words, if I go crazy and lose my mind, they'll find me at Lake Michigan counting grains of sand. But I'm not giving up on Jesus. Are you listening to me? I'm, to, I'm just being honest with you. You get to the point where it's like, if the last thing you hear from me before you check me into the mental house is a prayer, then you can say, I tried. But you know the beautiful thing is, is that that's not how it works. I've talked to so many people that said I went to mental houses in and out before I came to this church. Now Jesus set me free. Not that we've ever told them to get off medication, but people have testified. I was on depression medication. And then my doctor's help, I was able to show them that I don't need it anymore, that I'm set free. Others like Jerry, the one singing up here. Jerry, would you stand up for us? Come on, let's give it up for Jerry. Jerry used to be on anxiety self-help supplements. <laughs> and it wouldn't work, only just a little bit. Thank you, sister, and God set her free. Matter of fact, Ben, would you come up, please? So what are we going to do, brothers or sisters? We have, I guess, two options here, right? Do we now discount that scripture and say, somehow that's not true? Somehow he's not the same. It just doesn't feel the same. He's not. Or do we take, take him at his word and go, okay, God, you're the same? Let's go. Let's take on today's challenges. 
I had stories I was going to read to you, maybe just a few now as we get the band coming up, because I look at these young men. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you heard of them? You think you guys are facing pressure in this generation. Imagine being told by your principal, you bow down to this LGBTQ flag or I'm sending you to the furnace of our building. You're going to be put on fire. I'm not bowing to that agenda. Okay, send them in there. But guess what? He said, hold on, guys. Didn't we only put three in there? I see one like the Son of Man standing with them. Jesus was in the fire with them. Same yesterday, today, and forever. That means as you start high school this week, I don't care if it's corny, but you can just put out your hand and go, Jesus, you got my back? Because I'm walking into that place. Let's go. You hear what I'm saying to you? Same thing with our brothers and sisters here, the divorces, the single moms, the, the single dads, the ones who have gone through tragedy. You might think to yourself, no, some way it's not the same. No, it is the same. God is the same because your problems are the same. If our problems are the same, then why isn't God going to be the same? Do you think you're facing something different that they faced back then? I mean, remove the technology, remove the tinder, or whatever caused the marriage to fall apart. Remove, you know, all of our trappings of 21st century. It's all the same. The heart breaks. And it's like a precious vase that's been broken on the floor. It's in a thousand pieces, and now you're there trying to put it together. Have you ever been there? I've tried to put together things that have broke before, and it doesn't work. And you're sitting here looking at your life going, how do I put this together? The same God that put together lives in that Bible is putting together lives today. And he doesn't just put it together where you can see it all janky and that super glue stain coming through the glass. He puts it together better than what it was when it was brand new. The Bible says that he heals the brokenhearted. He takes off the garment of despair and gives them a garment of praise. So when I see you coming to this church praising God, I don't think to myself, look at how perfect their life is. No, I say, God must have brought them through something. Because you can't fake a real praise. You can't fake a real worship, as the Bible says. As I remember the old timers used to say, hey, don't judge somebody else's praise because you haven't gone through what they have been through. As they used to say, if you had been through what they had been through, you'd be praising like they are now. And man, that used to get me dancing so hype in the church when they would do that and the music was going is because I was like, man, I'm glad I'm not who I used to be. I'm glad I'm not where I used to be. Jesus, you're so good to me. I would rather take on a thousand problems with you than to go through life without you. Amen? Brothers and sisters, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Let's go out in that world and live like it. Amen?